support the baptisms so awesome. Four incredible testimonies of God's transforming power. And I have four, I have three other stories that I just want to start the service with just to celebrate with you all today. You know, you as the church, the capital C church, are making a difference wherever you go. And we've got three stories we just want to celebrate of specific ways. Pastor Julie, who oversees our food bank and pastoral care here, she was contacted by the prison next door, the chaplain, to say that there is a need that has arised, that as men are released from prison, they leave with what they came with. And many of the times they come with absolutely nothing. They come in the fall or in the summer and then they leave in the winter and they don't even have a coat and they have nothing to give them. And so we, she was approached to putting together some ba- uh, backpacks with supplies in them that we could give to men who are released so that they could have what they need as they leave. And so Rick Davidson, who plays the guitar here, gathered a few men together and they donated 13 backpacks of men's clothes, coats, shoes to put in these backpacks. Isn't that incredible? I just love that ministries like this are happening behind the scenes without anybody knowing, without anybody, you know, it's just, it's so, so, so beautiful. Um, Jose Munier, she doesn't know I'm going to be talking about her today, but (laughs) she found, so we have Cobb's Bread here in Orleans donates their bread to the food bank on Wednesday night. And what this is, is that at the end of the day, whatever's left over, uh, the food bank gets to go pick up all the bread and then we give it to the food bank clients. Now, when I, like if you imagine how much bread there is, double it, triple it, okay? There's so much bread that gets donated that we can't, even to give it to every single food bank client, we still have so much left over. Well, Jose found out about this and she said, this is not okay. We cannot waste this blessing. She has found other organizations in the city. She goes to the food bank herself every Thursday night, picks up all the leftover bread and brings it to other organizations in the city to bless them with this blessing that we've received. Again, another incredible story. Nobody asked her to do this. She just took this upon herself to do this. Lastly, Crystal Patterson, a young mom in our congregation, she had a heart to buy gifts for kids in need at Christmas time. And so what she did, she thought, um, I know, I'll start, I'll do a photos with Santa and buy donations. And so she raises money and she does a photos with Santa day, raises money. She raised $2,500 to buy gifts for kids in need, just all on her own, just to make a difference in our city. She donates them to our food bank and to other organizations to be able to bless kids this Christmas. So I just want to celebrate all of those people and those incredible things that are happening right in our congregation. Yeah, and while you're, and while you're clapping, you can keep your hands going together because since September 12th, we have seen 14 people give their lives to Jesus just this year. And so... That is, that's an eternal difference. So if that doesn't yeah. wake you up, I don't know what will. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So anyways, last week uh, we shared this, that whatever you depend on deepens because what we are depending on, we develop trust in. And today, specifically, um, we are going to dive in onto just a, a challenge that every single one of us faces, which is this. When it comes to trust, everybody say trust. If you're online, you can just type in trust. Those of you who are at home, just type in trust. When it comes to trust, some people are trustworthy and others, not so much. Um, But with people who are, 
or are not trustworthy, here's what doesn't change. You and I are commanded and called by Jesus to love and to serve others the way that he loves and serves us. And so the question we want to dive into today is this, is how do we serve people that we don't love? And don't be hypocritical and say, I love everybody. That's a nice statement. But they're all, every single one of us have people in our lives that it is a challenge for a variety of reasons for us to love. And we're on somebody else's list that we're hard for them to love. So every single one of us is on a list. And so to answer this question, we want to share two things today. First, something Jesus commands, as I said a moment ago. I know it's a strong word. He doesn't suggest it. He commands it of us. Each of his followers to do something specific. And then secondly, Lori and I want to share our biggest mistake and then our biggest ongoing battle in what makes serving and loving others so difficult, in particular, some people that are just really hard and difficult for us to serve. We are living in a polarized time, vaccinated versus unvaccinated, this perspective versus that perspective. Everything is divisive. Division is never our friend in the church, ever. Yeah. Difference is okay. Division never is. It is politically expedient to some to divide us. But as followers of Jesus, Jesus has called us to a different way, a better way, and it is being tested in this season. And it is hard for all of us. But the bar is never to be lowered as the church we're called to rise. And so loving people, yeah. No, you can clap that. So good. And loving people who are difficult to love is amongst one of the greatest challenges that we face as believers. But I'm going to even add, even loving those who love us back. Loving in general is not an easy thing to do. Sure, it might seem easy to feel love. We feel love for each other. We feel love in relationship with one another, whether that's married relationship, whether that's parent to child. We feel love. Even you love our dog as well, oh, quite a lot. You can feel love for a person or for a thing, for an animal, right? Don't, don't call him a thing. Well, what, he is, a, that is a thing. Okay. I mean, oh, sorry, see, we can see who loves our dog. But to love is to be vulnerable. It's to risk being hurt, even if it is an animal, because the truth is... A donut is a thing. Yeah, so, okay, okay, an animal is alive, it's different, it's not just a thing, I, I see your point, that's, to, to love is to risk being hurt, isn't it? It's, it's to risk loss, and so we can feel love, and we can even express love in words, we can say words like, I love you, and we can express our love in words, but the truth is, if you are in relationship with people, that actually, it's not enough just to feel love, and it's not enough just to express words of love, because if the action of love isn't accompanied with those two things, then those two things really are rendered quite meaningless. And I know if you've ever been in any relationship and you're sitting here today, so I know you have been in some type of relationship that you've experienced the capacity of this, right? When we kind of hit the wall of the action of love. Sure, you say you love me. Sure, you feel love for me, but I don't see it in your actions. And so you and I, this is the challenge we hit when we hit the wall of our action of love, not just what we feel and not just what we say. And how did Jesus teach us? 
Well, he said, if you love those who love you back, well, you're no different than the tax collectors and the sinners. You're no different than the people of the world. But I say to you, I call you to a higher way. I actually call you to love those who hate you, love those who persecute you and pray for them. That's the way of Jesus. And then 1 Corinthians 13, it lists for us the ways of love. How do we do this? So again, we can't just feel it and say it. How do we actually do it? And 1 Corinthians gives us this very full-bodied list of how we love people in action. Love is to be kind, to be patient, to be not self-seeking or boastful or prideful, to keep no record of wrong, to not be easily angered. These are all the actions of love, the ways that we show love for one another. And a couple of years ago, the Lord impressed this word upon my heart that literally the ways of love is his provision for us. And I know that some of you have come to church today and you're asking God for direction. You're saying, what do I do in this relationship that I'm in? And you have someone in your mind, someone that maybe there is strife with, maybe there's conflict and you're praying, God, what do I do? And you're literally tossing coins saying, should I walk away from this relationship? Well, listen, I want... I want you to hear with my whole heart that the way of love is God's provision to you. You know, do you remember the old, um, um, what was it called? The magic eight ball. And it was like this thing that you shake to make a decision. It was kind of a joke thing, but you know, you shake it and you ask the magic eight ball, you know, what should I do? And it gives you an answer. Well, the way of love is almost like Jesus's magic eight ball. And when you ask him, what is it that I'm supposed to do in this relationship? You can literally go to 1 Corinthians 13 and just put your hand on any one of the qualities of love and say, that is what I can do. That is how I can show the action of love. And the reality is that each one of us, this is the part of love that we find a challenge. It's not as hard to feel it. It's not as hard to say it. Maybe for some it is, but to actually show it is really, really hard. And that's where we recognize we need help outside of ourself. We need help from somewhere greater than just our own flesh and our own self in order to walk in this way. And we look to the life of Jesus for this. There's a story in um, John 13 where Jesus washes the disciples' feet. And it is a beautiful story right before the Passover feast where where literally the, the scriptures say, that Jesus knew that his hour had come. The weight of what he was about to do, that he was about to give his life, was on him. He knew it was about to come, yet he was able to lay that weight aside of the agony of what he was about to do. I mean, some of you might even know the story that just in a couple verses later, he's literally sweating blood, pleading with his father, is there any other way? He knew this was about to come, yet he laid this aside in this moment with his disciples to get down on his knees and wash the feet of his disciples. This was the posture of love. And and 
if you imagine this moment, he knelt down before Judas, who was about to betray him. He knelt down before Peter, who was about to deny him. He knelt before Thomas, who was going to doubt him, and he washed his feet. And even every other one of the disciples who would abandon him. And he humbled himself in this moment. And from a posture of love and serving, he showed them in action a different way. And in this place, he gave them a new command, a new command that was going to be for the disciples, but it is also for you and for me today. And it's from John 13, 34 to 35. It says a new commandment I give to you that you love one another, just as I have loved you, just as I have shown you in action right here and now, and will do so by laying down my life. You are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. The disciples would have been very familiar with this idea of commands. I mean, they lived under the law, under the Ten Commandments. They lived under a way of rules and law for all of their life. So this wording that Jesus was using was no different from what they had known. And Rules and laws and even the commandment and the Old Testament law had one job, and it was to render us guilty. It was to show us where we fall short, almost like that report card that you get at the end of the semester that says, nope, didn't meet it here, didn't meet the requirements here, didn't meet the requirements here. It shows us where we fall short. And we all have different relationships with rules, don't we? We all kind of see rules through different lenses and through different filters. And the thing that's kind of funny about rules actually is that we pick and choose which ones we want to follow or which ones we hold very black and white and which other ones are sort of optional. Jason and I are kind of funny when it comes to rules as well and even how this fleshes out in our different personalities. For example, if we are going for a walk on a trail and we hit the end of the trail and there's sort of a fenced off area that says, do not cross danger, Jason's like, oh, I guess this is the end of the trail. Let's turn around and go back. And I'm like, ooh, what are they keeping from me? Like, what is behind this fence? Let's go check it out. Come on. What's behind the fence? danger. Which is exciting. I want to see what is so dangerous. What are they keeping? What's this big secret that they are keeping from me? Danger. Jason is much more black and white with rules, as you can see. So if the rule is written and stated, then he's like, okay. Until it comes to driving, then we all have it. Oh, it says 100. <laughs> that really means 120. That's a suggestion. That's right. Whereas like rules for me, and this is some rules, not all rules, but are a little bit more of a suggestion. Do you know what I'm saying? It's like, hey, you might want to try this. And I'm like, mm, okay, that sounds good. Or no, I think I'm going to try to do it differently. What changes though, what absolutely changes about rules, and this is the case for every single one of us, is if the motivation is love. If the motivation behind a rule or a law, if there's love that comes. There's these rules that play out in family systems. And if there's love that comes behind it, there's a desire to actually follow those things because it feels like it's in the best interest of both people in the relationship. Love changes everything. And the difference between the rules and laws of the Old Testament and this new command that Jesus is giving us is this new command is not designed to render us guilty. In fact, this new command, this new way of life that Jesus is inviting us into and showing us the way of 
It is meant for our flourishing. What does the scripture say that Jesus came so that you may have life and have it more abundantly? So this new command comes so that you may have abundant life. And this new command that Jesus gives starts first with a change in our position. We are stewards called to serve others. And so that means we have to go from ownership, which says everything I have is mine and I need to hold on to it, which is a, a scarcity mindset. It's a limiting mindset to I am a steward and I am called to steward all things well, which means there's actually no limitation of what can come through my hand, but I can't hold on to it tightly. And because we're called to be stewards, we're actually accountable for this stewardship. We're accountable to God for what we do with what he places in our hand. And stewardship means we must serve one another, and that's only possible through love. So this leads us right into our biggest mistake and our biggest battle in order to be obedient to this command. And our biggest mistake is this, that I root my love for others in my capacity to love others. So our mistake is that when we hit the wall of love because we've rooted it in our own capacity to do so, we've missed what God has for us in the midst of this beautiful command that he's inviting us to walk. Right, because my capacity to love others is, isn't fixed, it floats, just like yours, meaning it can become based on entitlement or what somebody deserves. Um, some seasons, I tend to have more love and patience than other seasons. Um, how many, you know, there's some people that you have grace for that other people just don't have the same grace for them. And so again, these things aren't fixed our feelings are not fixed. They move around as well. In fact, most people are in our lives are usually one deep wound away from us, um, shifting our posture from loving to something other towards them. We live in a world today, again, where the formation, we are actually being deformed from the way of Jesus into something else. Look what Jesus said a minute ago is a new command that I give you that you love one another as I have loved you. So in other words, as I have loved you is an, a love that is outside of you is what you need to do what he's commanding you to do. So it goes to logic to make sense that if you try to love others, even those you do love or love everyone, simply based on your intellect, your will, your compassion, your capacity, your going to hit the wall. In other words, you can't white knuckle your way to obeying this commandment. It just doesn't work. You and I need a love that is outside of us to come on the inside of us again and again and fill us up again and again and again if we are to follow it out, if we're to walk in obedience to it. That's what's critical to look at. You see, again, so my capacity is not fixed, it floats. My feelings, not fixed, they move all around the place, not Jesus. His position never changed. His position with the Father never changed. But here's what's incredible. The posture of Jesus to love and serve people never changed. It didn't change towards Judas. It never changed towards Peter. It didn't change towards Thomas. It didn't change towards the disciples. It never changed. His posture never changed. We live in a world today that says you start at the bottom and you work your way up. And usually at the bottom, it's kind of like, you know, you know, meaningful tasks or just starting right at the bottom. Now, in one way, I understand this. We start with less responsibility and we grow in responsibility. So in one way, I understand this. 
But in another way, once again, it is deformation that we live in, that we start serving and we move to a place where we are served. This is the language of the world in which we live, in companies, in organizations, whatever it happens to be. But Jesus says this is not the way of the kingdom. For Jesus, when he knelt down and began to wash the disciples' feet, he was not starting at the bottom and then elevating up. He was actually just about to redefine what love was going to look like. And if we think serving is the highest form of it, he's actually going to lay down his life in the way of love. It's an extraordinary thing. So again, before, as Jesus gives this new commandment, two simultaneous things, he's going to redefine what love and serving looks like, which of course is the cross as he gives his life. And the disciples who betray, who deny, who doubt and abandon, they receive a love that they don't deserve. You know, like you, I am heartbroken when I read stories of people who are unjustly convicted of a crime, when years later DNA testing or new evidence proves that they were telling the truth all along. They have been completely innocent and years have been taken from their lives. In these cases, the people that we see go through these horrendous things, unjust things, are victimized. But may I remind you that while Jesus is completely and fully innocent, be very careful before, caution, before labeling Jesus a victim. Because he said these words, I lay down my life, nobody takes it from me. But Jesus, again, who was fully innocent in a redefining act of love, willingly lays down his life so that we who are completely guilty, and not just guilty once, guilty every single day, may experience his redeeming love. And so the mistake is this, that we can't love others like Jesus unless we first receive, but then consistently live in and from his love. Every single day, we have a choice. Do I root in my capacity and feelings, or do I root in a love that is beyond me that I need to receive and abide in? But practically, how do we do that, Pastor Lori? Yeah, that's right. You know, John 15, 9 says, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. And listen to this beautiful progression of even Jesus himself. And again, he's showing us the way. As the Father has loved me, as Jesus rooted his identity, who he was in the Father's love for him, he says, from that place, so I love you. And he's inviting us to do the very same thing, to root our very identity in being loved by Jesus in what he did and in sacrificially serving others as Jesus showed us the way to do. That is what it is to abide in the fullness of the power of the love of God. But instead, what do we do? In our human efforts, we often go to self-reliance and we definitely go to try to do it our own way and we hit the wall of the capacity of our love. And very much like Peter, we can be a lot like Peter in the story of the unforgiving servant. One day, Jesus is asked this question. How many times must I forgive my brother? And so Peter shows up and he says, how about seven times? And, and I, I wonder if he felt like maybe I'm being impressive. Well, I give this answer because that was 
double plus one the amount of times that the Jewish law required an act of forgiveness. And Jesus says, no, no, Peter, not seven times, but 70 times seven, really saying it's an unlimited amount of time that I've called you to forgive your brother. And then he tells a story to illustrate this. And this is one of Jesus's parables. This isn't an actual story of something that happened. It's a, it's a parable, almost like a fable. And this parable is kind of exaggerated, but it's exaggerated for a reason. And, and I pray that you would open your heart right now to the Holy Spirit to bring fresh revelation of the Father's love through this story. So Holy Spirit, would you reveal your love for us through this parable right now? Matthew 18, verses 23 to 25, for this reason, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle accounts, one who owed 10,000 talents, which would be equivalent to like $6 billion today. So again, a type of debt that could never be paid back in anyone's lifetime was brought before him. Since he did not have the money to pay it back, his master commanded that his wife, his children, and everything he had be sold to pay the debt. At this, the servant fell face down before him, and he said, be patient with me, and I will pay you everything. Here we see a similar posture to the posture of Jesus. This wicked servant comes on his knees, but it is for a selfish motive. And we're going to see how he responds in this story. Yet Jesus, who was perfect, postured himself in the same way on his knees to serve, but it was from a motive of love. Then the master of that servant had compassion and released him and forgave the loan. I, I want to read that part again. Then the master of that servant had compassion and released him and forgave the loan. We just sang a song, the last song that we sang, and it said, your mercy triumphs over judgment. The mercy of God triumphs over the judgment of God, but it's an invitation an invitation to receive that love and mercy and then to go and walk in that same mercy. That servant then went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. That's about $12,000 of today. And he grabbed him and he started choking him and he said, pay me what you owe. And at this, the fellow servant fell down and began begging him, be patient with me and I'll pay you back but he wasn't willing. Instead, he went and he threw him into prison until he could pay what he was owed. When the other servants saw what had taken place, they were deeply distressed and they went and they reported to their master everything that had happened. And then after he had summoned him and his master, and he said, you wicked servant, I forgave all the debt that you had because you begged me. Shouldn't you also have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And because he was angry, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay everything that was owed. So also my heavenly father will do to you unless every one of you forgives his brother or his sister from his heart. To love someone in the way of Jesus is to be rooted in remembering specifically how Jesus is loving and serving you even right now. You see, so often in this parable, we get tripped up by the ending. We get tripped up by the judgment side. But the point of this parable, the point of this parable is that God, our Father, wants to give us mercy, mercy for a debt that we could never repay on our own. 
No matter how hard we try, no matter how much good we do in the world, no matter how many good deeds, no matter how much of a difference we try to make in our time in this world, we could never right the wrongs next to a perfect and holy God. You see, the scriptures say that Jesus first loved us, and it's from this place that we are to love others because we've been first loved. It's not just that Jesus first loved us, but it's that he went first in the way of love. It's that he showed us the way of love. It's that he opened the door to walk in love and in mercy and in grace and in forgiveness in the action of, not just the words, not just the feeling, but the action of doing so, even when people don't deserve it. You know, some of you here today don't know how much God loves you. Some of you here today have disqualified yourself from receiving the love of God because of what you have done. That if I were to sit with you, you would say to me, if you only knew, if you only knew what is in my story, what is in my past. And I'm here to tell you today that none of that matters to God. He created you to be loved by him. It is your first identity and he wants you to receive it. And when you receive his love for you, then you can go and love as he loved, but only then. Did you know that you are God's pride and joy? For some of you here today, you have never heard a father say, you are my pride and joy. I want you to receive that into your spirit today. You are God's pride and joy. And your first identity is being loved as his child. And from that place, you can go and love those who do not deserve your love. You know, for some today, you need to renounce the lie that says, I am rejected and unloved by Jesus and affirm and align with the truth of Christ that says, I am accepted because of what Jesus has done for me. For some of you, you must renounce the lie that says, I'm alone and I'm, I've been abandoned by Jesus and affirm the truth that says, in Christ, I am secure because only when we draw from how Jesus is loving us a love that we do not deserve but has graciously been given to us through absolutely no merit of our own, can we then love others the way that Jesus commands us to, be, to love? And that is for our good and for our flourishing. So the mistake that we commonly make is to look to our own capacity, our own strength to love others. And the correction is looking to the completeness of Christ and how Christ loves you. 1 John 4, 19, we love because he first loved us. Yeah, and so loved ones, I want everyone just to say grace. Grace. Now I want you to say gratitude. Gratitude. Grace received and gratitude practiced are a deadly combination, deadly to our flesh. There are many of you who have no issue, of us have no issue receiving grace, but we sure have an issue of practicing gratitude. What did the servant in Jesus' parable lack? Gratitude. He, can, he absolutely received the grace, but he didn't live in the gratitude, not just of what 
the master did for him one time, but how this redeeming and redefining act of love changed the rest of his life. In other words, he was touched, but he wasn't transformed. And so you and I, we need a practice, a different commandment, a different rule of gratitude to live into, to remind ourselves not just that we were saved one day, but that Jesus is forgiving us of sin every single day. Okay, honest moment by a show of hands. Who here sinned this week? Can I see your hands, please? Okay, if you didn't put your hand up, I don't know what's wrong with you. You just sinned there, you lied. (laughs) Every single one of us. And sin separates us from God and sin leads to death. And so it's not just saved. It is by this love of God that we are actually consistently being loved Every single day, three scriptures and we're going to close. First John chapter 3, verse 16, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. And so we ought to lay down, that's the posture, that's the position, our lives for the brothers. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. That's a, that's a language of intimacy, not just knows about God, knows the character of God. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, loved ones, if God so loves us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. So this week, here's what I want you to do. Here's what we want you to do. I want you to write a list of who you find hard to love. It could be names or it could be types. Like, I find people who think this way. <laughs> right now, hold my calls. Write on a list of people who are hard to love. And then I want you on that same list, on the other side, I want you to write, how has Jesus loved you? And then how is he loving you right now? And let your heart maybe not just grow in grace, but from that place grow in gratitude. I'm going to invite you to stand. I'm going to be honored to lead you in prayer before our gracious, generous Heavenly Father. Whether you're here or you're at home, together let's pray. Let's put our hands out in front of us. Together let's say, dear Jesus, Jesus, my sin sin is what's wrong in the world today. today. Your love love is what is right. right. So where I fall short, I receive your gift of grace today. Thank you for loving me today and every day with a love that never fails. Help me to grow in your love expressed towards others. Amen. Well, if you've prayed that prayer for the very first time today, if you've received God's love, by praying that prayer. We want to know about it. Stay behind. Let one of our prayer team know. Or if you're too shy to do that, you can use the Connect card to let us know and drop it at the guest services desk on your way out because we want to follow up with you. This is an important decision that you have made and we want to be able to follow up and celebrate with you. Well, I'm going to invite you to be seated for a moment and we're going to ask uh, Pastor Gabe to come back. And just as he does, I, I want you to do something. I want you to say, I am loved. And if that is hard for you, I want you all week long.
to look at yourself in the mirror and say, I am loved, and repeat it again and again and again and again until it anchors into your identity and it anchors into your heart because you are loved by God. And from that place, you are called to love others. Mm -hmm.